0: A workflow is an application that involves more than just a simple request-response communication. For example, consider a session of a user taking a ride in an Uber. The user initiates the ride, and the ride might last for an hour. At the end of the ride, the user is charged for the ride and sent a transactional email. Throughout this entire ride, there are many different services and database tables being accessed across the Uber infrastructure. The transactions across this infrastructure need to be processed despite server failures which might occur along the way. Workflows are not just a part of Uber. Many different types of distributed operations at a company might be classified as a workflow. Banking operations, spinning up a large cluster of machines, performing a distributed cron job. Maxim Fateev is the founder of Temporal.io and the co-creator of Cadence a workflow orchestration engine. Maxime developed Cadence when he was at Uber, seeing the engineering challenges that come from trying to solve the workflow orchestration problem. Before Uber, Maxime worked at AWS on the Simple Workflow service, which was also a system for running workflows. Altogether, Maxime has developed workflow software for more than a decade, so he knows a thing or two about this. It was a great show with a highly experienced engineer in the domain of workflows. Maxim Fateyev, welcome to the show.
1: It's great to be here, thank you.
0: There's a type of procedure that occurs in software that is often referred to as a workflow. What is a workflow?
1: That is a very interesting question because it's a very, different people have very different opinions on that. I personally think that workflow is practically any program which takes more than just request reply. Practically a program which has inherent state, which goes beyond a single request reply, and you need to manage that state. And it can be relatively short-lived, but it can be very long-lived execution. Most people don't think about workflows this way. They see workflows as just sequence of steps. And which apply to very small set of scenarios but uh, when you start thinking about workflows as practically any program which goes beyond single request reply you start seeing workflows everywhere so you can think about like uber uber for example uh, a trip as a workflow you can start thinking about tipping a driver as a separate workflow you can start thinking as Bike rental, like for example, if you look at jump bikes as a workflow, at the same time you can have a customer loyalty program. When you, for example, your airline and you have airline points, managing those points is technically a workflow because you listen to events. There is state which links lives for a long time, practically for the lifetime of a customer. And then this state needs to take some actions based on number of points you took or based on time. For example, once a year you need to give uh, some present or uh, nullify those points based on whatever business logic is. So practically almost every distributed business application uh, from uh, infrastructure automation to, I don't know, events in event processing can be thought as a workflow.
0: I love that definition, the idea that you can define it as something that is goes beyond a simple request response, and architecturally, it sounds like a workflow is a set of services that are interacting with one another. This is generally how we're going to be modeling a workflow. Would you say that's accurate? Is a workflow architecturally? Is it a series of services that are going to be
1: calling each other? I think it's just one way to implement workflows because you absolutely can have workflow in a monolith. You can have single monolith, which uh, implements a a lot of actions, and these actions are practically orchestrated by the workflow. They are just steps. And absolutely, these days, a lot of those actions live in the services. If you have service-oriented architecture, you absolutely need workflows to orchestrate the uh, operations there, at least operations which go beyond single request reply. But you absolutely can have workflow in a single binary in a monolithic application because you need to manage your state over some period of time.
0: The example you gave of a jump bike, I think this is a nice little example. So I've rented a bike before, I walk up to the bike, I do something like scanning a QR code, the bike unlocks, and my session begins and I can go ride my bike around for a while. And then eventually I lock up the bike somewhere else, the session ends, and eventually I'm going to be charged for that. And so that's a very long-lived workflow. It's, well, I mean, whatever, depending on how long the bike ride is or how you define long, but it's going to be five or 10 minutes at least of me riding this bike and eventually I'm getting paid. And so maybe the workflow takes 15 minutes altogether and it's got some services that are calling each other on Uber's back end. Why does it even matter that I define this thing as a workflow? I mean, we know that there's just going to be some session of me riding this bike and it's going to be modeled on the backend somehow. Can't we just think of it as this collection of services? Why do we need this abstraction, this idea of the workflow to model it around?
1: So I think there are multiple questions there. First is what is workflow from business sense, not from how we implement that. And I think independently how it's implemented, it is still a workflow. Because you have multiple operations which are tied together with some state, which go over the time. And a lot of those operations make sense only in certain state of the process. And you need to also, big part of that is reliability. As if you run this program over a long period of time, probability of computers going down or having outages and infrastructure having issues or new deployments going on is pretty high, so you need reliability, you need to make sure that the system is robust against failures. So, independent of how it's implemented, you're implementing the long running business process, which need to be robust against uh, failures. And then there are different ways to implement that. And what you described is kind of the way people do that. They just practically create Hedgepodge of different components to provide that reliability. If you just don't use existing engine, like workflow engine, you, what you would do, you would just use queues, you would use databases, you would maybe use some timer service, or just pull database for messages in a certain state. And you will kind of try to assemble that business workflow as a bunch of independent services. And It's usually big pain to do that and then if you have existing kind of infrastructure to do that like workflow engine then you certainly don't need to reinvent that wheel you just implement your business logic
0: and how did this workflow management cause issues at uber because you you originally built this or helped build this workflow engine called cadence at Uber, what kinds of issues did it cause when you did not have a single system to help you manage the workflows?
1: I think the main problem it causes is that everyone reinvents the wheel. And this wheel is not very easy to reinvent. It's, uh, the way I kind of see it is that, imagine the way at times then databases weren't a thing. Every program would go and write, read to disk, and write back to disk, and keep records in certain format, and re-implement all the necessary querying logic. Then uh, databases were invented. And now if you're trying to build business application, and you say, no, no, I'm not going to use database, I will write, like, I don't know, records myself, and query them, and join them myself, and I will write the whole engine to do that, people will think you are crazy. And I think we have the same right now with this type of uh, applications, which are at least in business sense are workflows, that everyone reinvents the wheel. Everyone will try to come up with some system which supports the requirements, but then uh, requirements will change or load on the system will grow or you need to add monitoring or you need to add capabilities to troubleshoot things in production. And all of that, these are hard things and we are inventing, reinventing, redating them every time. And this is exactly what Cadence was trying to solve. It tried to solve these ad hoc workflow solutions, replace them, because now developers don't need to spend days and years kind of fixing their ad hoc solutions. They can just use existing platform and practically just focus on their business logic. And the platform would take care of the reliability and all other aspects of running high load and highly reliable production system.
0: Okay, great. Well, just to go a little bit more thoroughly into the high-level goals of Cadence, which is this workflow orchestration engine that you've worked on, what is
1: the purpose of Cadence? So, purpose of Cadence is actually it's <laughs> pretty ambitious. It's actually redefine how you build distributed applications. Obviously, it's uh, not all possible distributed applications. There is a certain set of use case which fits it pretty well. But there is a very large set of use case which fits it. And every time you have something like, as I said, which is workflow, which has state, and state which uh, lives beyond single request reply, and it's not just CRUD, right? Obviously, if you're just saving information, reading information, and showing it on the screen, there is not much of the workflow there. But if you're doing something meaningful, like, for example, order processing, or, I don't know, sign-up flow, of customer sign-up flow, support ticket, and so on, it has kind of multi-stage state. And that is the problem it tries to solve.
0: And what kinds of failures can occur when you're talking about modeling these workflows and making them easier to work with, if we don't have a workflow orchestration engine,
1: what are the kinds of problems that are going to occur? Oh, let's look at the kind of simplest thing. I think let's start from the kind of basics. Right now, most of the code we write is kinda large at least piece of code is plumbing. It's not related to your business logic. Think about like past when we had, I don't know, Microsoft Word processor which wasn't web based. You would type text and then you forget to press save button and your computer crashes. So you had to press save button very frequently. And right now you type into the new version of Microsoft Word or Google Doc, you don't even have save button there because it automatically uploaded to the cloud. The same thing with uh, use cases which require workflow because practically every time something happens in the computer system, because memory of the computer system and the computer which executes it can go down any time, practically what engineers do, they press the Save button after every state transition in their code. And practically every time you do something, you need to load state from database, you need to update that state, you need to save it back. And it's practically the first failure you have to deal with is actual failure of the process which runs your code. And the way we do that is, again, it's checkpointing that state every, every time. And we do it manually. Practically every time you get a request, you load from the state from database, you update that state, you save it back. Then you can reply back to the customer. Or for example, it's even worse if this system needs to make downstream call to another system, if this is not a simple call which like can time out in a millisecond, if it can take potentially long time, or if the system is down, you need to keep retrying for a long time, you practically need to checkpoint your state, that you're practically your intent, oh, I'm going to call that system. Then you need to set special records in the database saying that this is timeout of my call. So if I crash, load that, and verify this call completed or not, then you need to make a call Then you need to practically wait asynchronously for the completion, and then completion comes. You will need to process that result. Again, loading state from database and processing that and saving it back. And then also you need to pull on these timers, records to time out the call. And this is just one call, but if you need to do expansion retries, if you do multiple calls, if you need to chain those calls, this logic becomes extremely hard. And uh, practically, the main uh, type of failure which engineers work with is the failure of the actual process which runs the code. And then obviously, as we are living in an perfect world, then you need to deal with failures of other systems. For example, when you make a call, that call can fail. So a downstream system can be down, it can be down for a very long time, it can be down for hours or even days. So that is uh, another type of failure which you need to deal with. And then you need to run, in some systems, if you get an error from some API call, you need to roll back because we don't have distributed transactions anymore. People use what's so-called sagas. Practically, you make calls to multiple services, and if one of them cannot complete your request, you need to go, go compensation calls to other services just to roll back the changes which we already done. And you need to make sure this complete. so this type of failures also need to be managed.
0: Now, to play the devil's advocate as to whether we need an entire workflow orchestration engine to manage this, why not just use Redis, for example? Why not just have this resilient in-memory system that can store all of my state about the transactions, the long-lived transactions, the workflow management that's going on across my system. Can't I just use Redis or etcd for that matter? Why not just have a lock server that manages the information that I need to know about this stuff? Why do I need an entire engine to help me through these kinds of workflows?
1: Practically, I don't think it changes anything. If you have database or you use Redis, Redis is just kind of type of database, right? It's just fast. It's still the same. You still need to load that information when you execute your business logic from that external source, in this case would be Redis. And then you would need to, or TCD or whatever, it's still database in whatever format it is, right? It's persistent storage. So you need to load that state from that storage and save it back on every state transition. And managing that state is non-trivial. And again, I didn't even start talking about timers, timeouts, retries, all these things, which are not trivial to implement. And then we'll how to scale those things, because it's pretty straightforward to partition your data across a business key. For example, if you have millions of customers, you can go and partition that across multiple database instances using sharding. But it doesn't work for timers for example because every time you make a request you need to create a durable timer durable timers are not as easily partitionable because they can kind of partition on different dimensions so just if you start thinking about all aspects of reliability and scalability it's not that trivial to build systems which support those requirements and again people do that it's not it's kind of the status quo right now but my point is that they actually spend disproportionate amount of time building kind of not their business logic. Like look at, for example, some business logic, let's say you implemented in a single process without thinking about this process going away that logic can be like 100 lines of code. Okay, call that API, call that API, change arguments to another variant, call that API, and then based on whatever logic, do something else. But then I say, okay, now run this for million customers and make it robust against all possible failures. Then this code will become monstrosity of callbacks, which is very hard to understand and manage and has very little resembles to the original code.
0: There are some other tools that are popular that could be described as workflow orchestration. Airflow comes to mind. How does Cadence compare to Airflow?
1: First thing is that Airflow tries to solve kind of the same problem, but it has very, very different approach. and. Also, it tries to solve that problem just for a very strict subset of use cases, mostly because it was created around a data pipelines. It has very limited requirements in terms of scalability, because you cannot just go and say, okay, I'm going to use Aeroflow, for example, for a bank to transfer money from one account to another. Because if you need to do a few thousand transactions per second, I don't think Aeroflow is technology which you can rely on. So that is kind of first part, is that it never was built for very high scale. It was built for data pipelines. A second part is, I think the biggest difference is in the way workflows are described. The idea of Cadence is very different from all existing workflow engines in the sense that, let me kind of just start from the beginning. Imagine that you have a computer which has fully fault-tolerant memory. Like in the future, we probably will have RAM, which will always be durable, so it will completely change the way we write applications because it will eliminate exactly what I said. It will eliminate this cycle when you need to load state update the state and save it back to database because we can just receive a request, update your local variables of your program and return request, and your local variables will be preserved because memory is fully fault tolerant. Hmm. The same way, if you do downstream call and this call takes five days or requires retries and everything, you still can be blocked on the same line of code for a very long time because again, that memory of your computer, including stack, all variables, everything is preserved. That will be a very nice world to live in. It will completely simplify the way you write applications. And this is not magic. This is exactly what Cadence does. It allows you to write normal code, just code as you would write in your preferred programming language. So you just write code, which updates local variables, starts threads, makes API calls and everything. And then this code will, it's abstraction, but it gives you, when you write code, you write code as your memory cannot be lost, including local variables, stacks, and so on. If you talk about Aeroflow and practically all other existing workflow engines, they never execute your code directly. What they do, even if they're code-based, for example, Aeroflow is code-based, not like DSL-based or JSON-based as most other engines. Aeroflow, all code does, instantiates a DAG. DAG is some kind of, you can think it as a very limited version of abstract syntax tree of your program. And then what engine executes the actual DAG, which is very, very limited version of kind of programming constructs. So what Cadence does, Cadence actually executes code, like code in your program, and this code doesn't instantiate some other representation of program. It is actual code. What Cadence gives you is ap- these virtual memory abstractions, and it completely changes the way you think because you don't need to rethink about new abstractions. Your abstractions is still code. If you need to do if statement, you will just write if else normal programming language statement. If you need to do loop, you will just do normal loop. If you need to do whatever business logic of your application, you will do business logic of your application. If you are a Go programmer, you will get channel and you will listen to the channel and select on that if necessary to process uh, external requests. So you do need to kind of rethink the way you model your programs. And the best part is that it's about complexity because there is a reason we don't use DSLs like syntax abstract syntax trees or JSONs to write millions of lines of code. If I come to somebody and say, okay, take this complex business application and rewrite it in JSON, I don't know, Linux kernel, that would be insane, right? Why? Because you cannot write a very complex business logic in these high-level languages. You need, like, real programming language because they have enough abstractions and enough capabilities and enough learnings to deal with immense complexity. Practically, if you I say, here's the Java program or Go program, write me, I don't know, 100,000 lines of code, I'm pretty sure that you can write them in a way that programmers can make sense out of them. And because uh, Cadence again is just code, complexity of the application you can write using this platform is practically unlimited. And it's very, very different from any other workflow engine.
0: Great. What are the steps for defining a workflow in Cadence?
1: So for defining workflow, practically you just, it certainly depends on the programming language you use. Currently, we support out of the box Java and Go. And Python client, actually, which is ex- external contribution, is almost ready as well. And also Ruby client is also an external contribution. So let's talk about Java, for example, just to start. In Java, what you would do, you would, you would get, create an interface. You will put method there, which you have to annotate as workflow method on that interface. And it's just normal Java interface otherwise. And then you implement that interface. And you just write a code inside of that interface. The biggest limitation and how this, uh, why workflows are different from uh, any other code is that workflows cannot call external APIs directly. They always have called them for so-called activities. You can think of as tasks as well so we call them activities so practically if you need to to send message or call some external api or whatever you always put that code into activities so practically all the external calls go to activities and then workflow makes api calls to activities through special api which practically activities are also implement an interface so practically I'm kind of jumping ahead of me. But if you do activities, you just implement Java interface, and every method of that interface becomes an activity. And then inside of workflow, you get special stuff to that interface, practically which implements that interface, and you make calls to those, and it can be blocking calls. So practically, you say, my activity implements, I don't know, deposit method and uh, withdraw method. So inside a workflow, you will call activity.deposit, like stop of that activity.deposit, put um, whatever parameters are there. and this call can block for five days. And then then it unblocks, you go to next line and which can be withdraw or whatever. And so practically you just write code, which calls into the activities. And then you have uh, other, all features of the language available. Also you can uh, receive external events because workflows can react to external events, which in case of Java would be just callback method, which is called every time the external event is sent to the workflow.
0: Great, I want to continue to move through the different vocabulary. You have activity tasks, decisions, decision tasks, activity workers, just to make sure people who are listening are following along, what Cadence is doing for the developer is it's providing this environment that is durable. It's a durable environment that can help you manage this workflow that may be may have state that needs to be acknowledged for days or months at a time. That's a long lived session. And if you wanna maintain a session for that long, a a workflow session, you're going to need some kind of durable, flexible environment that gives you the paradigms you need to be able to call these different services over this long period of time.
1: So there are two parts there. One is the programming model. How do you write code? And then a separate part, is how you deploy that code and how you run that. So when you write code, you don't need to think about that. The only requirement is that you use appropriate uh, workflow APIs to do certain things like getting time, and also you use activities to call external services instead of making direct calls. And the, what a uh, framework does is it preserves the state of your workflow code, including all local variables, state of your threads, uh, and everything. So that that is, and then you need to deploy that and run that. The way Cadence does it right now is that you have backend service which exposes API, and uh, right now we are switching to gRPC API. So practically it's a gRPC service, which behind the scenes consists from multiple components, but these days it's just a bunch of Docker images, practically one Docker image which you can deploy in multiple roles, and it also requires a database. So we currently support MySQL and Cassandra. Postgres is also contributed, but it's not production ready yet, but will be production ready soon. In general, almost any database which supports multi-row single-shot transactions can be used potentially with cadence. And then the biggest difference of cadence from other workflow engines is that it doesn't execute actual code of the customer, even workflow code. For example, in Aeroflow, you kind of send the, that deck for engine to execute. In case of cadence, both workflow code and activity code lives outside of that service. This code is part of the customer service. It's the same way as you can think as uh, Kafka consumer doesn't belong to Kafka cluster, right, or publisher. It's uh, just external process which communicates to the cluster. The same way cadence code, like workflow code and activity code, lives inside of worker processes which connect to the service externally. And these worker processes are done uh, linked with uh, APIs, practically client-side libraries, SDKs. Uh, For example, if you're doing Java, you will just include Java SDK as a dependency, and then you just can program against this API. And then you need to run those workers. So these workers are external. These workers what they do, they connect to the service, and a service internally has queues. They just pull for tasks from those queues to receive tasks. For example, if it's activity, it will activity is not invoked directly. It puts a task in the queue and then activity worker picks up that task, executes it, and then reports back to the service about its completion or failure. Nice thing about that, workers are out-of-the-box flow controlled, so it means that workers cannot be overloaded by rate of requests. They cannot process requests fast enough. The requests will just be backlogged in the appropriate queue for those tasks. So... Does it answer the question or probably you need more detail there because I can go certainly for a very long time describing that yeah. <laughs> in the no, no, in no. details. No,
0: it's, it's great. I want to examine this from a number of different angles. So in order to, to give a different angle, I'd like us to talk about the cadence architecture. So we can talk about the architecture of cadence itself, the cadence service and the backing storage system, and then we can talk about how an individual workflow might integrate with this service. I think we've given the listeners a decent overview for what purpose this thing is solving. So let's talk about the overview of the cadence architecture itself. Can you tell me what is going on in the cadence service and what the runtime looks like?
1: Okay, I'll try. It's certainly a five hour lecture. Let's start from the service API. So practically, the core service API is to start workflows, to send signals to them, which are external events which you want to deliver. So practically, when you want to initiate a new workflow, for example, you press a button on your website, for example, to initiate a money transfer, you will call start workflow execution operation on the service API. That will create state for that workflow. And you also pass business ID, because Cadence is a fully consistent service. It guarantees uniqueness of workflows by ID. So it usually will be, I don't know, transaction ID or customer ID. It depends on your use case. And in this case, you will create that object inside of Cadence. Also, what it does, I didn't mention that, but the way we reconstruct state, we use event sourcing. So we record every event related to that workflow. So every workflow maintains so-called event history. So practically, when you start workflow, we will write workflow execution started event into the event history for that specific workflow instance. And at this point, this call returns. So because service accepted that, this is it. Then what happens is that as workflow code doesn't live inside of the service, we need to call into the actual code. How it's done? There is a worker which contains the workflow code, which lives outside of the service. And this workflow worker listens to so-called task list, which is essentially a queue with some name. And this name is practically, can be chosen per application. And what happens when you start workflow, it not only creates a state and not only appends event in the history, it also creates a task in that queue, in that task list. And all of that is atomic. It is very important because cadence eliminates a lot of race conditions. Uh, Like when you implement ad hoc system, for example, you use queue and you use database, you always have a race condition. What do you do first? Do you update queue, uh, do you put message in the queue and then update the database, or you update database first, then put message in the queue. Whatever order you choose, you, you are on. because unless you have a transaction between those two, you will end up with a bunch of race conditions there. Ken has absolute guarantee that when you call start workflow, it will update the state, create the history, and also create a task. And if it fails, none of that will happen. And then the, this task is put in appropriate queue and workflow worker picks it up and executes workflow logic, which, for example, say execute activity A. And it doesn't call that activity directly. It just sends command back to the service saying, okay, I want to execute activity A. What it will do? It will update the state of the workflow inside of the service. It will append event to the history saying, practically command to the history saying activity task scheduled. And then it will atomically also create activity task in appropriate queue which activity listens on. Activity listens on their own queue. And at this point, this what we call decision task from the workflow worker will complete. Then activity worker will pick up the task from that queue, execute it, and then call complete activity back to the service. So service will add the event to the execution history, which is activity task completed, and call workflow again, delivering the new event to the workflow. Then it will go back and forth like that. So the complexity on the back end is so practically what it needs to do. It needs to maintain pr- practically unlimited number of those workflows because you want to scale out as wide as you need billions of them potentially. Then for every state transition of the workflow, you need to have a timer, durable timers. So every time you call, for example, activity, you start multiple time, uh, you start a timer, so how long can it run? Activity can heartbeat, so it might end up uh, creating a heartbeat timer as well. You can have multiple activities running in parallel, so you need timer for each of them. The whole workflow has its own timer. And also a business logic can ask to sleep for some time, so you need timers created from the business logic. So that is another part. And also because... Problem is that you cannot do it naively in terms of scaling because if you shard by workflow, and this is what we do internally, we do shard by workflow ID, so you can actually have a lot of database instances or like Cassandra nodes, and then we can scale out. But then it doesn't help with things like delivering these queues because you can have single queue delivering messages to a uh, fleet of activity workers. And this queue is sharded completely differently. Then you need to have durable timers. So sharding durable timers is a little bit orthogonal to both of those. So, most of the complexity of the service is around how you make sure that you can scale all of those different dimensions and then make sure that the system is robust and also fully consistent. And yeah, and uh, all transitions are atomic. Okay, it was long, I think, but (laughs) 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 it's certainly an incomplete, very incomplete description.
0: Totally fine. I mean, we're not going to be able to cover the entirety of Cadence in this podcast. We just want to give the listeners a glimpse into what this does and, and so they can learn about whether it might solve a problem they have. You've mentioned that the data in the cadence service is backed by Cassandra. Why Cassandra?
1: I think uh, there are multiple reasons of that. One is that Uber just had a hosted Cassandra service internally. So it kind of has like internal version of more like RDS of Cassandra. So that was probably most obvious choice because our team didn't have to maintain that. Also, in general, Cassandra is pretty nice in the sense that you can add capacity relatively easily. It deals with resharding and all of that. So you can just add nodes and it runs. Unfortunately, because we are fully consistent service, Cassandra has a lot of limitations around consistency. So we had to use lightweight transactions. And they certainly not the most optimized and loved feature of Cassandra. So but it took us a very long time to get it right. Don't try it at home, please. (laughs) Okay. We later added support for other databases. MySQL is a uh, one production already, and we will have more of them. Oh, okay. I think we this time we can support almost every database out there which supports transactions.
0: Got it. So a workflow is going to involve, likely to involve multiple services, or I guess, as you said it, at the beginning of the show, it could just be a, a single monolith. But for each service or monolith that is going to be interacting with this central cadence service... Tell me about what the communication is. You mentioned that these services would embed a client library, but I wanna know more about what the client library does and what the communication protocol is between these individual services that are being orchestrated together and the central cadence service.
1: So there are actually two very different models there. One model is that your service uses cadence individually, and uh, communicates with external services for activities. For example, if you have uh, existing RPC services, not kind of workflow enabled, which usually just have very short requests, like short timeouts for their requests and you need to make uh, call them uh, you still want to use workflow because these services can be down and can have outages or you need to run compensations like sagas so you call these services it can be pretty fast but then one of them is down you maybe you want to retry i've heard once a requirement from one of our customers that some downstream dependency which is third party said we cannot subscribe to sla we can be down for three days They say, like, maximum we can be down, but three days. And then people come back to us and say, what do we do? This is like three days. We cannot retry from Kafka. They were using Kafka back then for three days, especially if it's a subset of messages. How do we do that? Like, we practically, because Kaden supports exponential retries of activities out of the box, we practically said, okay, set your retry policy for three days and you are fine. But in this model, what happens is that your service Host the worker, which hosts both activities and workflows. And this worker connects uh, to Cadence through gRPC, but it's kind of just uh, happens uh, inside of the library, so you don't need to manage that in any way, besides giving correct connection string. And then this uh, service will execute activities and workflows, and these activities will deal with failures of external services and retries and so on. Another model which is, I think, is uh, more interesting is that uh, you can think about Cadence as a service mesh service mesh for long running operations. Mm. Because right now, if you think about it, all existing, uh, like we're all talking about service meshes, but it's always around (laughs) uh, short-lived operations. It's practically about request reply. Yes, there are also ones which deal with uh, queues, they practically uh, allow you to configure queues and receive messages from queues. But technically, if you think about it, most of this is about request reply. Inside of Cadence, workflows can call other activities and workflows like synchronous. When you look at the code, it's synchronous request reply. You make request, and then you wait for it in blocking mode, and then you get your reply. The difference is that this request can take five days, or one year, it doesn't matter. Or maybe you just have a reply policy for three days, so this request will block for three days until request goes through. What you do, if you model other services as activities or child workflows as workflows inside of Cadence, so each service will be separate deployment, both of them will connect to the Cadence server, but then when they call each other, they will call each other as activities or child workflows, and Cadence will become kind of this uh, long-running operations service mesh. So that is the, the idea is that you can treat it as a service mesh for long-running operations, and you create service-oriented architecture around that. That is, I think, the kind of different way to think about it.
0: As you're telling me about Cadence and just how many pieces there are to making sure this works properly, I wonder what the testing process has been for developing Cadence. What kinds of tests did you put in place, and what was your testing process to make sure that this workflow engine that is going to be applied in so many different ways
1: works as you expect? It took time. It just takes time. Just to give some background, both leaders of the project, me and Samar, we worked at AWS and we worked uh, here. Samar also worked in Azure and we built more than one project together. So when we b- were building Cadence, we kind of were building it as an AWS service from the beginning. And we build it as like a hardcore infrastructure component. So we spend a lot of time and a lot of rest testing, and we have a lot of release pipelines, which run through practically all possible scenarios of using the service. And we also run long running tests. Our release pipelines requires, I think, at least two, three days to run to ensure that we don't have regressions. And uh, obviously, there is no magic. Sometimes bugs slip through that. For that, we have staging pipelines. And at uh, Tuber, what we had, we had customers running their staging workflows on staging, and we are doing upgrades of the staging environment as a test. First of all, make sure that our upgrades don't break existing running workflows also to ensure that system stays healthier. But also, even if in the case that bugs slip for production, we have a lot of protections and a lot of uh, ways to deal with failure. We practically never lost workflows. They could get stuck, but we would find it out and solve that problem. But in general, the system was very reliable in production. But yes, it took a lot of effort and a lot of discipline to do it right. There is other thing about testing, which I wanted to mention, is that because you write code, you can actually easily test it. You can test your workflow using your preferred unit testing framework. For example, in Java, you can just go and use JUnit, and you can write workflow, and you can mock every activity and using the Makito or whatever prefer- uh, mock framework you use and you can write uh, practically full-blown normal Java unit tests of all your business logic. And the best part is that the unit testing framework that Cadence provides supports time skipping. What I mean by that is for example, your workflow does some operation and then says sleep for three days because it needs to do something three days later maybe send a customer message. That unit testing framework will detect that workflow is blocked for three days and will automatically roll time forward for three days instantaneously. And then it means that your workflow unit test will run in milliseconds, even if without you changing any timeouts or timers, which say days or weeks, which is very powerful feature for unit testing of uh, long running business logic.
0: I'd like to run through another example, maybe in a little more detail about how an activity or a workflow would actually be implemented in terms of the different vocabulary. So these activity, activity task, decision, decision task. Can you give an example of a workflow and put it in terms of the programming paradigms of cadence?
1: Yes. So practically, the, the terms you mentioned, most of them you actually don't need when you implement workflows. You probably need them when you want to understand how the system works. On a high level, you have activities, you have workflows, and the workflows can be started. And you have signals, which is events you can send to the workflow. These are practically the main abstraction you need to deal with. So all others are more like implementation details. It's nice to understand them and nice to understand how system works for troubleshooting. But when you write code, you just write workflows and activity tasks. And the main rule is that activity task, external API should be called through activities. So practically, if you need to do money transfer, you will write activity, which will call actual bank API bank APIs. And then workflow will just call those activities through activity interface stop. So practically inside of Java code, you would say new interface stop for this t- interface c- class. It will give you instance of the stop w- which implements that interface. And you will just call method on that activity directly. And it will be normal API call. The difference is also that you need to understand that arguments are serializable because you can plug in serialize- serializer. By default, we use JSON But basic idea is that this should be value types because this is practically remote call when you call an activity. But these are main abstractions that activities and workflows. And workflow code is just code, which again, just Uh, has some restrictions how it runs. For example, if you create multiple threads inside a workflow code, you have to use APIs provided by the workflow. And there are some other restrictions around, like for example, time, you need to take time using workflow APIs. But basically just code which uh, calls into activities and also you can call activity asynchronously, for example, and it will get promise back and then you will just can block on that promise, or you can wait for all promises, so you can do like asynchronous completion of that promise. So there are a lot of kind of standard Java things. This promise is practically similar to Java completable promise in terms of functionality.
0: Tell me more about the process of building this at
1: Uber. So one thing is that, just to give again some background, I was tech lead for the simple workflow service at Amazon, and Samar worked with me there as well. So I spend a lot of time thinking about this problem. So I, I'm doing this for probably more than 10 years straight, solving this type of problems. Wow. So at, at Amazon, I cannot like disclose a lot of internal information. It took us a long time to get the first version out. It was multiple iterations. I wrote at least three client-side libraries, And the one which Amazon has right now for the simple workflow service, not many people know about it. There is actually AWS simple workflow service out there, which uh, can implement similar ideas that Cadence does. But obviously it was 10 years ago. It took us some time to get it right. And still, I think we didn't get it right. Especially the developer experience wasn't good enough for the service to pick up. I think. And uh, later, when we we had the similar problem to solve it at Uber, we kind of decided to not copy a simple workflow, but uh, use the ideas that a simple workflow had, but iterate on them and make it better. We built a relatively simple version of that internally, and they iterated, on, but a completely different backend and uh, different APIs because, for example, at Uber, we used thrift uh, over our own APIs. And then we uh, wrote client-side library in Go. Then we iterated for some time just to make it production-worthy, put in production. And then we started to kind of get feedback from our users and multiple, multiple iterations of the product. And we started to add a lot of very important features. For example, we support multi-region replication. So you can have multiple clusters which, for application-level protocol, talk to each other. And even if you lose completely the whole data center, you can continue your work. Workflows continue from a different data center out of the box. That was very hard to implement feature and took a long time to get it right. But most important services at Uber would never use the service which doesn't sustain the data center outage. And then one thing which was great about Uber, Uber allowed us to build this project as open source from the beginning. Uber was very open to, like, you see a lot of full open source projects coming out of Uber because Uber had very, very open policy towards open source. If you had projects which could be interesting for the community, build it. Not even release, like a lot of enterprises, you build something, then they allow you to release. It's almost impossible to release it after because usually dependencies creep in. But because we built Cadence from the beginning as an open source project, I think we managed to keep those dependencies at bay. And also it helped us to get, obviously, external community.
0: When did you get the idea that a business could be built around Cadence?
1: I think it wasn't the motivation to build business around that. I think one thing which uh, I believe is that the new programming model Cadence promotes and supports is a very powerful one. And I believe that it can change the way a lot of applications are written in the industry. And so when we started Cadence project, we always wanted to, that's why we wanted to make it open source. We wanted to make it successful, not only inside of Uber, but outside. At some point, we started to realize that being inside of an organization, even as great as Uber is, was limiting because we couldn't really focus on external customers because we just have different priorities, right? So you cannot walk at Uber and do some features, for example, support I a Postgres database, which Uber doesn't use. At some point, our project started to become popular outside of Uber, and we, we approached, which told us, kind of that there is a possibility to get money and also they kind of helped us to understand that we really cannot make this project successful really successful outside of Uber unless we can focus on that 100% of the time on external users. And I always believe that uh, the technology is there and this kind of convinced me that my co-founder Samar is that we want to create company around that and focus all our attention on making this project great.
0: And the fact that there is not a de facto best workflow engine that is as general as you are pursuing with cadence do you have any ideas on why that is and why it possible today or is it just the fact that this is so hard to build and nobody has put in a decade at workflow engines
1: like you have (laughs) it's a very good question I think there are various reasons for that. First, yes, you have to be stubborn. (laughs) One of my colleagues, which worked on me on a simple workflow, When I told him that I'm building company around similar ideas, said he's that I'm the most stubborn person in the world he knows. Just people underestimate the complexity of these engines, especially if you need to build a high-scale one. That if you look around, there are quite a few, but if you say, okay, how many of them can support thousands of workflows per second? How many of them can scale to hundreds of millions of parallel executions or potentially more? There are not that many. I don't know if probably the conductor would be the closest one from Netflix. I understand that the no-code is all the rage now, but I think the idea of no-code or low-code is about helping professional programmers to write to kind of automate what they're doing. And I think this is great, and I think it's super useful. And uh, there are a lot of actually low-code engines already running on top of Cadence, but I think that is misplaced when we try to move programmers into that world. Software engineers love code, and they just don't like to write plumbing. What we are doing, we're eliminating the plumbing component and allow them to focus on their business logic using what they like, and this is their code. I think the combination of this just code-first approach, and now the way we kind of call it, we call it uh, workflows as code. This is kind of the, our view how to call what we are doing is like workflows as code. That is one thing. And second is just having people who built AWS-level services before and can spend time, thanks to Uber, for example, to make them production worthy. This has been in production for three years at Uber. So, that combination of factors is not that easy to come up with.
0: And if somebody's listening to this and they're thinking, maybe this can solve a problem that I have, and they're thinking, what is the best way for me to actually use Cadence today to actually try out this workflow system that you've built? what's the best way for them to to start using it and to start getting their workflows orchestrated more properly
1: right now i would recommend to go to our new company website called temporal technologies so temporal.io We have links to documentation, to GitHub repos and samples and everything from there. So you can uh, find all information about that there. Also, we have a link to the Slack channel, and uh, I am always there, so you always can find me there and ask, don't go implement complex application without getting design consultation. One thing about these workflows as code is that they are code, but uh, there are d- certain design patterns which emerged with time. Unfortunately, I didn't have time to write book or at least even blog about them yet, but it's nice to talk to somebody who wrote or at least witnessed a bunch of those designs to validate that you're doing the right thing.
0: All right. Well, just one more question. I like to focus this, this show around particular technologies but you've been in the software industry for a pretty long time. You've been, we're at Amazon, Google, Uber, Microsoft, you're at AWS, now you're at your own company, and we are in the midst of this unprecedented change to to the world. And obviously everybody is unsure about what is going to happen with the changes due to this virus, but do you have any advice for people who are navigating their careers in the technology industry right now? that relates to, to this dramatic change that has occurred.
1: I think we are extremely lucky being in the technology industry right now because I think we are the least affected. I understand that it's still, if, especially if economy goes down, it will affect everyone. But obviously being able to work from home without getting the same paycheck is a blessing. I certainly feel very bad for, like, the rest of which cannot enjoy the same situation. If you're in IT industry, I don't know, It's uh, my feeling is that just become good at what you're doing. We are hiring right now, and I'm pretty sure there are a lot of uh, companies which are hiring. We certainly have the best job security right now. And uh, in terms of learning, I don't know, is... I just pick your area, become proficient at that. From other point of view, there are people who are actually generalists and they are successful, So, but I'm certainly not one of them. As I said, I'm very stubborn. I've worked on the same infrastructure level problems for all my life.
0: Maxime, thanks for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure talking to you.
1: Yeah, thanks a lot for inviting me. It was a pleasure.